the Amityville House, the Chelsea Hotel, Madame LaLaurie's House, the Lemp Mansion, the Winchester House, and Lizzie Borden's Home, the Balleroy Mansion right here in Chestnut Hill, Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia County. These are but a few of what are considered our country's most notorious haunted houses. Some have haunted histories dating back to the earliest days in America. A few feature stories that aren't mere hauntings but demonic activity with residents who were compelled to commit atrocities by evil spirits. Others, like the LaLaurie House, are haunted because of evil human beings who weren't possessed by demons, or at least not demons from another realm. These were human demons who thought nothing of the sanctity of life, and their crimes against humanity resulted in the restless souls who wander courtyards and stairways, their spectral feet tapping on floorboards as visitors sense the presence of another. There's a house in Pennsylvania that's considered worse than the legends of the Amityville house. Residents experienced hauntings like the Lutz family and the Perrin family who owned the old Arnold house in Burrowville, Rhode Island. This is the story of the house at 46 South Wells Street in Wilkesboro, Pennsylvania, a city that sits in the Wyoming Valley in the northeastern section of our state. It starts long before the home was built in the 1860s, with bad luck for the town, infighting between the earliest settlers of Connecticut and Pennsylvania, and it continues as recently as a few weeks ago, when a man brandishing a sword was arrested outside the Wells Street house for ghost hunting. I guess no one told him what he really needed was a proton pack. I'm Dina Marie, your host on this twisted journey. Welcome to Twisted Philly. There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings-on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Philly podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome Welcome to to Twisted Philly. Philly. Here's how this episode started. A few weeks ago, a listener posted an article in the Twisted Philly podcast discussion group about a man who was arrested while attempting to ghost hunt at 46 South Wells Street in Wilkesboro, Pennsylvania. According to the Times leader, the local paper in Wilkesboro, police were contacted just after 3 a.m. on June 27, 2018, when a man was spotted attempting to break into the abandoned property. 33-year-old Anthony Parker was found at the rear of the house. According to police, he had a crowbar in his hands and was trying to pry open a door when they spotted him. Parker was found not only carrying a two-foot sword at his waist, but he also had a knife with brass knuckles for a handle, a Bible, and a loaded shotgun. Unless the shells in that shotgun were salt or iron, they wouldn't work against ghosts. Come on, dude, have you never seen Supernatural? This story sounded crazy, and of course it raised my eyebrows. I'm as interested in the paranormal as anyone, and as much as I like the idea of exploring old abandoned homes, I wouldn't actually break into one. I will certainly walk across the lawn and peek in the windows of an abandoned old house reported to be haunted. There's one in Cape May, New Jersey, of which I am particularly fond, but breaking and entering, no thank you. That's not the first time someone was arrested for attempting to ghost hunt at 46 South Well Street. What is it about this house? Was Anthony Parker just a little obsessed? Or was there something more to the little bit of information about that haunted house in the article about an attempted breaking and entering? Well, there was more. 
What I learned is that the house at 46 South Well Street is considered Pennsylvania's version of the Amityville Horror House. Wilkesboro had a problematic history, one that dates back to the early 1680s. As you've heard me discuss many times before, William Penn was granted the lands of Pennsylvania in 1682 by King Charles II of England because the king owed Penn's father a shitload of money. The land grant in the New World was repayment of a debt. But a year earlier, King Charles granted the land in the Wyoming Valley, northeastern Pennsylvania, to the early colonists in Connecticut. How can you grant the state of Pennsylvania to Penn after you've granted a portion of the state to an entire territory of people? Besides the fact the king didn't really own any of this land. It was owned by the Native Americans. For about 70 years, the area we call Wilkesboro and the surrounding Wyoming Valley was untouched by the colonists. The settlers in the New World left the Native American Muncie tribe alone. The Muncie tribes were from New York, Connecticut, and northern Jersey. If you look at a map of Pennsylvania, you can see just how close Wilkesboro is to each of those states. But by the mid-1700s, Connecticut was overcrowded. They'd used up most of their natural resources within the surrounding area, and they needed more land. Then the French and Indian War broke out in 1754, lasting for almost 10 years, and that delayed any agreements between the Native American tribes and the Connecticut and Pennsylvania colonists. Wilkesboro and the Wyoming Valley had a very tumultuous start. Things didn't get much better. Wilkesboro was destroyed by Native Americans partnering with British troops. They set fire to the city, and most of the city was destroyed. Before Wilkesboro could finish rebuilding, it was again burned to the ground in 1784 during the Third Pennamite Yankee War, which was the conclusion of 15 years of infighting between Connecticut, who were called the Yankees, and Pennsylvania, who were called the Pennamites, for that piece of land in the Wyoming Valley. Maybe instead of destroying all of this rich, fertile land, they could have sat down and worked it out. Eventually they did, but not until after decades of turmoil that all could have been avoided had King Charles not granted the same land to two different people. All of this history about Wilkesboro makes me feel as if the land were cursed. Because while the Native American tribes had the support of the French and later the British in the late 1700s, that was one of those the enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of relationships. Eventually, all that land that was owned by the Native Americans through rights of conquest long before any British citizen stepped foot on our shores was lost. Well Street is about four blocks long between Hill Street and the Cole Street Park. It runs parallel to Wilkesboro Boulevard and is just a few blocks from Main Street and the Public Square. It's also a short walk from the banks of the Susquehanna River, so you can understand why it was a prime location in the 1860s for entrepreneur and industrialist Augustus Lanning to build his home at 46 South Well Street. According to the Citizen's Voice of Wilkesboro, Augustus Lanning moved to Wilkesboro in 1822 when he was only 14 years old. Although my search through multiple papers from the 1800s didn't give me any indication from where he moved. Ten years later, Lanning opened an iron foundry on the public square, and although that square looks very different today, it was in about the same spot where the square sits now at the intersections of Main and Market Street. Augustus Lanning had multiple manufacturing businesses in Wilkesboro, and he was one of the city's most prominent businessmen in the late 1800s. For a time, he was mayor of Wilkesboro, and he even gave the city its very first steam engine. 
He was a respected member of the community, and for all his success, his family did suffer a tragedy. Now, this was a number of years after he died. On August 23, 1899, a young man named Harry Lanning was killed in a tragic barn accident. According to an article from the Scranton Tribune in 1899, Harry was Lanning's son, yet other sources I found, including more recent sources, indicate this was really his nephew. That night, there was a horrible storm in Wilkesboro. Harry Lanning was driving a two-horse cart, and he rushed to get the horses into the barn before the storm worsened. Apparently, just as he began unhooking the horses from their riggings, lightning struck the barn and set it afire. One of the horses fell on Harry Lanning, and he was pinned. He was unable to get up or save himself, and he died as a result of his injuries. There weren't any stories of hauntings in the early days of 46 South Well Street at least none that I could find, which was really surprising for a home that has the reputation of being Pennsylvania's Amityville Horror. I did read a few references to suicides and mysterious deaths in the 1940s and 1950s, but I couldn't find any specific stories, or really anything at all, until the 1970s. And at first, it wasn't a report of hauntings. The first report was about an accident in June 1971 when five-year-old Tim Geiger, who lived there, was hit by a car when he walked out into the street between two parked cars. The man who hit him was a 67-year-old Wilkesboro resident who reported the incident to police and miraculously, Tiny Tim wasn't injured in the accident. That actually sounds like the opposite of what would happen outside a haunted house. In 1977, Leonard Weintraub contacted Wilkesboro police because 100 feet of copper pipe was stolen from the basement of 46 South Well Street. He was contracted to make repairs on the house. There wasn't any information about whether or not the pipe was recovered or if the culprits were ever caught. That copper pipe theft happened two years after a DJ named Bucky Johnson moved into the house on Wells with his wife and two daughters in 1975. The family moved to the area after Bucky took a new job at a radio station in Duryea, Pennsylvania. That's a town about 15 minutes outside of Wilkesboro. The Johnson family story was the first report I was able to find of any documented paranormal activity. According to Johnson, strange happenings began a few days after he and his family moved in. Someone knocked on the door. Not unusual. Maybe it was a neighbor with a casserole welcoming him to the neighborhood. Instead, when Johnson opened the door... There was no one standing on the other side. Maybe it was a neighborhood kid playing Ding Dong Dash. Was that a thing in the 70s? It was definitely a thing in the 80s where I grew up. Not that I would know from personal experience. For four months after that, life was fairly normal. They settled into the two-story house at 46 Wells Street with its pretty front porch and 100-year-old charm. Then in February 1976, the Johnson family experienced some very unsettling events. According to an interview on October 31st, 1979, with Keith Schneider, a reporter for the Times Leader, the Johnsons often heard noises at their front door. Bucky Johnson told the Times Leader when he opened the door, there was a spectral man standing on the other side. Johnson told the paper the man was well-dressed, carried a cane, and was translucent. He claimed he could see right through him. In a quote, Johnson said, I remember seeing a smile on his face. It was crooked and vicious. That wasn't a single occurrence. This man with the crooked smile made frequent stops at the front door of 46 South Well Street, and each time he disappeared within moments. As we often hear, events like these escalate over a period of time. What began as scratches at the door 
turned into scratches on the Johnson family members. They claimed they heard people talking behind the walls and in the attic. There were moans and wails, footsteps, heavy boot prints on the staircases and on the floors above their heads. Johnson's wife and daughters often saw the ghost of a little girl, who they reported would cry and then walk through a door and disappear. Over the next two years, the haunting seemed to affect the structural safety of the home, as well as the health of Bucky Johnson's family. In 1976, the kitchen floor collapsed into the basement. The heating and cooling systems stopped functioning. There were horrible smells for absolutely no reason. Animals in Johnson's care, not necessarily domesticated animals, but skunks and raccoons that Johnson liked to care for, often died without warning. There was no illness or accident. They just died but not before what Johnson described as going berserk. What I thought was one of the craziest stories about the haunting at 46 South Wells Street in Wilkesboro happened back in January 1977. Bucky Johnson told the Times Leader reporter he saw one of his daughters trip at the top of the stairs, but she didn't fall down. She floated down. She didn't hit one step. She didn't go ass over tea kettle like the rest of us would if we tripped down the stairs. Johnson claimed she floated down, landed on her feet, safely at the bottom. By 1978, the family was at their wit's end and contacted a local minister in the hope he would perform an exorcism. In the Catholic Church, exorcisms are a bit like don't ask, don't tell. For the most part, the church doesn't perform exorcisms. And over the last 20 to 30 years, so much of what was considered possession is now considered a mental health issue. In some cases, probably in many cases, it is indeed someone suffering from a severe mental health problem. But we're talking about a house, a space, not necessarily a person. I'm sure there are people in the church who do believe in the power of exorcism, and it's simply not documented. But even in the 70s, you couldn't just call your local parish priest or reverend and ask for an exorcism. There was an uphill battle you had to go through, and most likely at the end of that battle, the church wouldn't sanction an exorcism because if they did, they'd be admitting to the supernatural, which goes against some religious beliefs. You can certainly call a priest or a minister or any spiritual person and ask them to bless your home. You can probably find folks outside of the Catholic Church who will do exorcisms too. Whether or not they're legit and not just taking advantage of people in desperate situations, I couldn't really say. So Bucky Johnson called Reverend McGagan. Not only does the Reverend not perform an exorcism, but Johnson stated the reverend told him there was absolutely nothing to be done. Whatever was in the house wasn't leaving. The family was stuck, living in a haunted house, which they believed put the safety of their family at risk and, similarly to the Lutz family, caused dissension with frequent fights and marital discord. The house was also falling apart. They couldn't stay, but they couldn't leave either. No one would buy the house because it had fallen into such a state of disrepair, nor would people who heard the rumors about the house at 46 South Wells Street be interested in buying it either. Finally, in the summer of 1977, the Johnsons just up and left. The financial loss wasn't nearly as great as the loss to their health and safety if they would have stayed. Bucky Johnson had a theory about the paranormal activity in his house. He told the Times leader shortly before his family moved out, He'd broken open a wall in an effort to find the source of disembodied voices. Within the wall, he said he found a small box made of tin. Inside this box were human teeth tied up with chicken bones. According to Johnson, when he researched the property and its previous owners, he'd learned the house had been vacant for decades in the early to mid-1900s. 
local lore said the house was empty because it was haunted. The sort of legends that result in kids daring each other to go into the spooky abandoned house. Go knock on the door or stand on the front step for 10 seconds. Some of Johnson's research, with the help of a local professor, went all the way back to the original owner, Augustus Lanning, who built the home in 1860. They claim they found tales about Lanning being a philanderer, someone who may have had a reputation as being a benevolent entrepreneur in the city of Wilkesboro, but was having affairs with married women. They believe the husband of one woman in particular hired a local witch doctor to put a curse on Lanning. That tin filled with teeth was a sort of hex bag, or in this case, a hex box. And that was the epicenter of all the nefarious activity. There are some fairly famous names slightly connected to the haunting on Well Street. Would you like to guess? If you said Ed and Lorraine Warren, you would be correct. On March 17, 1980, the Warrens hosted a lecture at the Penn State Wilkesboro campus. They discussed the Amityville Horror House. Part of their lecture was to convince folks Amityville wasn't a hoax, especially for those who believed the Lutzes fabricated the haunting as a way to earn money. Ed Warren was adamant that wasn't the case, not just on behalf of George and Kathy Lutz, but also on behalf of him and his wife, who investigated the Amityville haunting. What financial gain is there when you leave a home with only the shirt on your back? They took none of the furniture, none of the food, not even one of the children's toys. Undoubtedly, within that house lurks the most powerful and evil force I have ever encountered. Although that house has been resold and has new occupants, whatever dwells there might still have control and is simply waiting. It has killed once. Who's to say... Who's to say it won't kill again? While the Warrens were in the Wyoming Valley, they visited the house on Well Street. Lorraine Warren claimed she knew absolutely nothing about this property's history. I'm guessing she missed that article from Halloween just five months before she and her husband started their lecture tour. She knew it was haunted simply by walking past. What would have drawn her to that particular house on that little street had she not known it was haunted? Because the property was vacant and listed for sale, there was no one to grant access to go inside. Well, okay, the realtor could have granted access, but they didn't. So the Warrens walked the property. They sat on the porch. Lorraine sensed despair emanating from the walls of 46 South Well Street. For not having known the history or hauntings of the property or the Johnson family, what Lorraine described was eerily accurate and very similar to what happened to the Lutz family in Amityville. Maybe not the daughter floating down the steps, but the banging and the knockings, things happening in threes, the father breaking through the wall, the effects on the family's health and well-being. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too much of a skeptic. I imagine if you experienced months or years of this sort of activity, it would wear on your psyche. It would wear you down physically, and a lot of hauntings probably do have a lot of similar activity. I found an article from 1982 that not only considers the Johnson family haunting bogus, and that's not his real name, Bucky Johnson. That's his DJ name. Most of the research I found referred to him as Bucky Johnson. I did see his real name used in one source, but it's obvious he didn't want that name used, so I'm not going to use it. 
This article quoted members of the community who disputed the haunting and even had a reason for why the Johnson family might have fabricated these experiences. In the summer of 1982, a woman named Catherine Watkins bought the house at 46 South Wells Street in Wilkesboro, Pennsylvania. She got it for a steal, 20 grand, probably because it sat unsold for four years because of the rumors. Catherine and her two children were well aware of the story of the Johnsons and the reported haunting, and they didn't believe it. They had no fear when they moved into the house, and by all accounts, none of them experienced anything at all like the Johnsons did. For about a year before Catherine Watkins bought the Well Street house, renters lived there, and they didn't have any issues either. No knockings, no weird smells, no translucent visitors or disembodied voices. Absolutely nothing happened. According to Harry Gailey, who rented the property with his wife after the Johnsons left, he claimed Bucky Johnson made up the haunting to hide the fact the house was going into foreclosure. It wasn't the Johnsons who owned the home when it went up for sale after they left. It was the bank, Susquehanna Savings and Loan. Gailey's statement was confirmed by the bank's vice president of mortgage lending, who told the Times Leader newspaper the bank foreclosed on Johnson. The Lutz family moved into the Amityville house around December 1975, and they left 28 days later. They were incredibly vocal about their experiences. Is it possible Bucky Johnson was well aware of the Amityville haunting and used some of their stories to inspire his own? Sure it is. Anything is possible. It's also possible 46 South Wells Street was, and still is, haunted. The house didn't stay in any one family for very long. Augustus Lanning, who built the home in 1860, died in 1875, and I wasn't able to identify other owners in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Only references to the eerie sensation the house gave off, and the legend of it being haunted among neighborhood kids after the Depression. It spent plenty of time vacant, on and off, over the past 150 years. The last real estate records I could find on the property were that it sold in 2014. A few years earlier, Reverend Thomas Herco and his wife, Reverend Karen Seppa Herco, who claimed to be spiritual cleansers in Wilkesboro, investigated the house at 46 South Well Street. According to interviews with the Hercas, they captured video and audio proof of hauntings. Floating orbs caught on camera, EVPs, and like the Warrens, they talked about the sensation of despair and darkness. Unlike the Warrens, the Hercos actually went inside. Thomas Herco described what he called a primary dark being, which he believes traps other spirits inside the home. Herco said a thorough cleansing could rectify this haunting, and he shared his concerns over the spirits trapped inside by that more malevolent entity, which he said feeds off these other spirits. My question is, if he and his wife are spiritual cleansers, I get it, that's not what they were hired to do in that moment, but if he truly believed there were spirits being trapped by some nasty piece of work, do something to help them. LiveSciFi.tv visited the Well Street house in October 2013. The hosts claimed they heard growls in one of the bedrooms. Now, this wasn't on camera, it was the night before they filmed. They also claimed they felt physical contact from something which couldn't be seen. Something or someone kicked the couch where one of the investigators sat, and another felt something touch his arm. While they were filming in one section of the video, they were in the dining room, and they did pick up temperature changes. This footage is close to four hours long, and I will be honest, I did not watch all four hours of night vision. I watched probably a little more than half of it, and I watched it in segments. At about an hour and a half in, one of the investigators has a spirit box on the stairs, and I shit you not, 
someone was talking with him through that box. So in that moment, all of my, maybe they made this up, went out the window, at least for a few minutes. For me, the jury is still out on this one. I lean towards the haunting at 46 South Well Street in Wilkesboro as possibly being fabricated. The news I found about the foreclosure in 1978 feels like a good reason why someone would create a story to get out of a mortgage they couldn't pay. I mentioned the reverend who visited the property in 1977, who wouldn't bless the house because he felt there was nothing he could do. Well, there was nothing spiritual he could do. But there was something very physical and tangible he did for Bucky Johnson. Reverend McGagan sent a letter to a real estate agent who was supposed to manage the sale of the house for the Johnsons. In the letter, the reverend stated he couldn't disprove the events described by Bucky Johnson weren't supernatural in origin, and that it was in the Johnsons' best interest to get out of the house to protect their psychological well-being. The timing of it is a little suspect to me. It started about a year after the Amityville haunting, and there are so many similarities between both stories. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I'll tell you that Spirit Box definitely had me on edge. So, like I said, the jury is still out for me on this one. The house is abandoned. It's boarded up. If you go there, you will be considered a trespasser. And clearly someone is watching that house. Because last month at 3 a.m., they called the cops when they saw Anthony Parker trying to break in. Now, even with that don't try this at home sort of disclaimer, if you live up in Wilkes and you know about this house, or if you have more information than I was able to find out, if you walk past it, please let us all know. Share it on Facebook in the discussion group. As always, thank you for listening. That's it from me. Ciao for now, Twisters.